Well, uh, one name that you are likely unfamiliar with is Sir Boyle Roche. Uh, Sir Boyle Roche was a politician in Ireland in the 18th century. He was a member of the House of Commons, not as well known for his politics as he was for what he said. Uh, Because Sir Boyle Roche had a habit of mangling his words. He quite frequently uh, spoke mixed metaphors and all sorts of confusing sayings. And uh, some of them have been written down in the annals of history. So I thought I would share some of the greatest hits of Sir Boyle Roche with you this morning. Mr. Speaker, I smell a rat. I see him forming in the air and darkening the sky, but I will nip him in the bud. Number of metaphors there, none of which are really used appropriately or in context. We should silence anyone who opposes the right to freedom of speech. Allow that one to sink in. Half the lies our opponents tell about us are untrue. And then uh, lastly, that one takes a minute, doesn't it? Yeah. Lastly, while I write this letter, I have a pistol in one hand and a sword in the other. I love reading the quotes of Sir Boyle Roche because they make me feel better about myself uh, because all of us know that there are probably thousands of ways that you could err in your speech. Uh, Sometimes we mess up with our words simply because we are careless, maybe a slip of the tongue. Other times it's because we're sinful. There are things within our hearts that are wrong and sinful that come out when we talk. So if there is anger or hatred or lust or greed or pride or whatever it is, it often comes out when we speak. And we talked a little bit about that last week when we looked at this subject of the tongue of words from Proverbs. We talk a lot, most of us. Scientific American estimates that the average American person speaks 16,000 words every day. That's about a 50-page book, 50-page book every day on average. Those who speak the least still say about 5,000 words a day. Those who speak the most are all the way up around 50,000 words a day. And that may be some of you in here. But we all talk a lot. And with as much as we talk, the odds are great that we are from time to time, if not frequently, going to say things that we regret or say things that are wrong or in error or simply sinful. And uh, Solomon and the other writers of the book of Proverbs knew that. And like we said last week, there is a great deal of material about one sixth of the book of Proverbs is dedicated to this subject of speech. A number of verses, about 150 different verses in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Last week we talked about the positive side of speech. What does speech look like when it honors God? This week we're going to talk about the negative side. And I've I've called this sermon Word Pitfalls because uh, speech sometimes reminds me of the old Atari game Pitfall. Some of you may be familiar with this game, one of the best-selling video games that Atari ever created. You were the role of an explorer who just kind of ran across the screen through a desert, and you had to jump over pits and rolling logs and snakes and scorpions and all manner of obstacles that you could fall into. And so when I thought about the subject of words this week, that image came to my mind because there are dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of ways you can fall into a pit when you speak. And so much of the book of Proverbs is dedicated to helping us avoid many of those pitfalls. 
I think the subject is especially critical because we live in a day and age when much of what we say is not only with our mouths, but also online, on Facebook, on Twitter, in texts, in emails. Much of what we say is written down in black and white and recorded for eternity, I suppose. And so it is so critical that we learn to speak in ways that honor God and to avoid some of these pitfalls. Now, we talked a bit last week about what God-honoring speech looks like. And in the context of that, we mentioned, for example, honesty and lying. And we mentioned purity versus impure speech. So we're not going to reiterate this morning a lot of things like don't lie or don't cuss. But instead, what we're going to look at are some of these pitfalls of our speech that sort of creep up on us. Ones that we all are guilty of engaging in, but we may not think about all the time. And so some of the pitfalls are ones that you're going to find as we talk, uh, when we talk about it, this particular proverb or another proverb may hit you right between the eyes because you go, you know what, I engage in that speech behavior and I'm not always even conscious of the fact that I do it. Sometimes we fall into these pitfalls just because we start talking and we feel we need to fill the silence. And so we're going to talk about a number of those type of pitfalls from the book of Proverbs. So I hope you're ready. The overarching principle that we're going to look at this morning is this. Avoiding common pitfalls in our speech requires constant vigilance and consistent prayer. The great thing is the scripture doesn't simply tell us what not to do, but through the whole of scripture provides us a means by which to do better. And ultimately that means is going to be the power of God In our lives. That for those who know Christ, the Spirit of God is sufficient to train us to speak in a way that reflects His character. But avoiding those pitfalls requires constant vigilance and consistent prayer. All right, so let's dive into these pitfalls. And again, some of these will hit all of us right between the eyes. For that, I do not apologize because they've been hitting me all week long. And so now it's your turn. The first one is simply excessive speech, talking. Too much is the first pitfall. I was surprised as I looked through the Proverbs at the number of verses there were about talking too much. Proverbs 10, 19, when words abound, transgression is inevitable, but the one who restrains his words is wise. I think we often have a hidden belief that if we just keep saying words, eventually we will hit on something worth saying. The reality is the Proverbs says just the opposite, that the more you talk, the more I talk, the more likely it is that we will err or that we will sin. When words abound, you just keep talking, eventually you're going to transgress with your words. But the one who restrains his words is wise. Why is the one who restrains his words considered wise? Because if you know how to restrain your words, the odds are good that you have thought about what you are going to say And what you're not going to say. You have thought about what is necessary and critical and profound to say. And you have cut out those things that are not necessary or critical or profound. Very few of you will recognize the words that I'm about to read. If you do, you are probably a history teacher or professor. Let me read this paragraph. Standing beneath this serene sky, overlooking these broad fields, now reposing from the labors of the waning year, the mighty Alleghenies dimly towering before us, the graves of our brethren beneath our feet, 
It is with hesitation that I raise my poor voice to break the eloquent silence of God and nature. But the duty to which you have called me must be performed. Grant me, I pray you, your indulgence and your sympathy. I doubt anybody in this room recognizes those words. However, many of you, if not all of you, will recognize these words. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now, the reason I share those is both of those speeches were given at the same occasion. That is the dedication of the battlefield at Gettysburg during the Civil War. The first paragraph comes from the speech by Edward Everett, who spoke for two hours and his speech was 13,000 words long. And we don't remember any of it. Uh, The second set of words, of course, are from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, which is still engraved in full at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., 200 words long. And he spoke for around five minutes or less. And all of us remember it. And why is that? Because he had learned how to cut out those words that were extraneous and get to the point and to the heart of the matter. The Proverbs tells us fewer words are generally better than more words. As a general principle, the more we speak, the more likely we are, first of all, to lose the primary point we're trying to make, and secondly, to transgress. Another proverb on the subject, Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who remains silent is considered wise. And the one who holds his tongue is deemed discerning. Now we have an American version of this proverb. It goes like this. It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Most of you have heard that proverb from time to time. The idea is this. If you don't know what you're talking about, keep quiet. If you don't know what you are talking about, simply close your mouth and wait until you do. And I think this principle is so significant in a day and age when we all feel often that we have to weigh in with our opinion on every subject, particularly on social media. And the reality is that it is quite often better to wait and hold our silence and listen before we speak. Whether in person or online, Do you suffer from an excess of words? Do you struggle with simply speaking to fill the time? Do you find that you are afraid of silence? Do you consider before you speak whether the words you're about to say are necessary and edifying and significant enough to say? Do you find that when you begin to speak, your friends say things like, now I only have a couple minutes to talk to you. They begin to check their watches or look at the ceiling or drift away. That might be an indicator that you talk too much. And the reality is at times all of us are those individuals. And I think it stems from a heart of feeling that what we have to say is more significant than the other person and what they have to say or their time. It stems from a heart that believes that our own opinion is always worth hearing when in fact it may not be always worth hearing. And I think if we are able to train ourselves to think carefully about our speech and use fewer words rather than more, we also will be able to avoid or minimize some of the other pitfalls we're going to talk about this morning. That's why I started with this first one of excessive speech, because I think excessive speech leads to some of these others. The second pitfall we could fall into is gossip. 
gossip. Proverbs 18, verse 8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into the person's innermost being. That's simply a proverb that describes the reality that we all love. On some level, we all love hearing juicy gossip. Gossip is like the Kentucky Fried Chicken of the speech world. You pick it up and it's good and it's juicy and it's greasy and you get that stuff on your fingers and you like licking it off and it goes down smooth and it tastes so good and then it hurts once it's there. Because it goes down into your innermost being and that's where it does its damage. But we all have this tendency to love gossip. That is why when you are in the grocery store checkout line, your eye is often drawn toward those tabloids and you want to read them at the same time you know you shouldn't. That is why when you see an article online that says something like 10 celebrities with oily skin or whatever it is, you click on it and you go, I didn't know she had oily skin, right? And you're reading this whole thing and then you go, why am I doing this with my life, right? All of us have that desire to be in the know. And again, it stems from a desire, I think to feel better about ourselves at times by making others seem less than we are. See, gossip is often a way to say something negative about another person so I can feel better about myself. And it feels good in the moment, but it does often irreparable damage in our hearts and in our relationships. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight: a perverse person spreads dissension and a gossip separates the closest friends. Many of you have had relationships in your own life that have been damaged by gossip. Damaged when one person went behind your back or you went behind another person's back and spoke words that were unkind or even untrue and perhaps slanderous. Gossip can destroy friendships and it harms our own hearts even though it feels good on the way down. I will never forget the most vivid lesson I ever learned about gossip. It happened when I was in seventh grade. I was on a camping trip with our church and there were about 15 of us in the back of a van as we were headed toward Colorado. And there were actually two vans of kids and drivers headed toward Colorado for this backpacking trip. And while we were in the back of this van, some of us started gossiping about another girl who was on the trip. And she was not in our van at the moment. She was in the other vehicle. And people began to say things about her that were unkind and slanderous and gossipy. And it wasn't until we got to where we were going that we remembered her dad was driving our van. And I will never forget the silence that followed when we realized what we had done. You see, and the real problem wasn't that we said it in front of him. The real problem was that we shouldn't have been saying something in the first place that we wouldn't have said to her face. And the reality was it was this painful lesson that if I wouldn't say it while a person is present, I probably ought not say it when they are absent. I think often we engage in gossip also because we're bored, we're looking for something to pass the time, and again, we just want to flow with speech, and we don't think. And we end up doing damage. The solution that the Proverbs gives us to the problem of gossip is very simple. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Just shut it down. Just close your mouth. Don't add fuel to the fire. 
We all have this desire to be in the know, but it stems from a desire to make ourselves more important than we really are. It stems from insecurity and a failure also to recognize that in Jesus Christ, we don't need to puff ourselves up because he loves us. And so we can rest in his love for us and not feel that we need to elevate ourselves above others by gossiping. The third pitfall, I think, stems from the same type of attitude as gossip, and that is careless humor or malicious humor. One of the more vivid Proverbs we're going to see this morning, Proverbs 26, 18. Like a madman who shoots firebrands and deadly arrows is a person who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not only joking? The idea is this is the person who just aims his humor and his wit and his sarcasm in every direction. And when it hurts another person, they go, hey, relax. I'm just kidding. Right? In modern terms, this would be like walking out into your neighborhood with an AK-47 and spraying the area with bullets. And when people get upset and say, you could have hurt somebody, you go, chill out. It's just a joke. That is careless, malicious humor. In Ephesians 5, 4, Paul issues a prohibition against coarse joking or coarse jesting. Probably the best translation of that from the original Greek language is actually cutting humor. Humor that cuts, humor that severs my relationship with another person and hurts them. It is the cynical type of sarcasm that fails to hold its tongue and says, I'm going to be funny even if it's at the expense of another person's feelings. Probably about a decade ago, when I was still engaged in college ministry, there was a group of students who were very funny, very witty, but often their humor was at the expense of other people. And if you had asked them at the time, they would have said, no, we're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. We're just trying to have a good time. We're just being funny. We're just being witty. And everybody knows that. And yet in the midst of that year, I had a young lady come into my office in tears And said, I just can't take that anymore. She said, I laugh at the jokes when they're present. And I cry when I go home. Because the humor was cutting straight to her heart. And what they thought was funny. And what they thought, hey, everybody's in on the joke. It was actually harming and damaging relationships. I remember a friendship of mine in college that had gotten to that point where We felt we knew each other well enough to throw these, what we thought were funny barbs back and forth in jest. And we didn't even realize we were doing it until we were in the presence of a third party, another friend who heard our conversation and said, you guys are mean to each other. And it placed a new perspective on the words coming out of our mouths. And if I were honest at that time, I would have recognized that, yeah, many of the things he said hurt, but I smiled. And it broke down trust and put a wall between us in our friendship. So the Proverbs and the scripture warns against that type of sarcastic, cutting humor. Do you and I consider the ramifications of our humor before we say it? Do we consider whether the prize of being funny is worth the cost that it will incur? Is that true of us when we say things face to face and also on Facebook or Twitter or social media or in texts or in email? 
Because again, much like gossip, much like excessive speech, cutting humor often stems from a heart to say, to make ourselves feel important, loved, to make ourselves feel that people think we're witty, funny, and it has a cost. And so the third speech pitfall, careless or malicious humor, again, stems from a heart of sin and requires constant vigilance, constant prayer to overcome. The fourth one, arguing and complaining. Now I put arguing and complaining together because the scripture often puts arguing and complaining together. If you think about Philippians chapter two, what does Paul say? Do everything without what? Arguing or complaining. And I think the scripture often puts those together because arguing and complaining also stem from a heart of discontent. I argue because I want things to be my way in the world because I want to be right and I don't always feel at peace with the world around me and with God and so I have to push back and argue and make sure my point of view is always heard and is always right. Complaining, very similar. It is less confrontational but it's a way of saying I'm unhappy with what God has given and so I'll voice my displeasure with how long the food takes to get here with whether it's raining whether it's too hot, too wet, too dry, too cold. Arguing and complaining stem from this heart of discontent and mistrust in God. Several Proverbs about arguing and complaining. Chapter 12, verse 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In other words, there are individuals that in every conversation, they bring their sword and they're ready to fight. You may know individuals like that. You may find that you are an individual like that. That you show up ready to engage in conflict with anybody. If they say the sky is blue, you'll say, no, it's periwinkle. Just to start a conflict. But the tongue of the wise seeks reconciliation and healing. Another of my favorite Proverbs from this week, Proverbs 18.6. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Have you ever known somebody like that? Just go, everything you say invites a beating, right? We have, again, an English version of this, an American version of this. You are cruising for a bruising. It's the ancient form of that. Are you the type of person that always stirs up conflict because you're discontent? You have to be right. You've got to make all of the world conform to your perceptions of how it ought to be. Do you argue and complain? When it comes to complaining and discontent, a couple of other vivid proverbs in that regard. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a houseful of feasting and strife. In other words, better to just have some hard, dry bread than a huge feast where people are complaining and arguing and unhappy and discontent. Amen. There's a number of proverbs about the complaining or the nagging wife, and I'm going to explain those in a minute so the wives don't get angry at me. Um, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. Right, now keep in mind, the Proverbs is written by a dad to his son primarily. And so it's not written by a mom to her daughter, but in the context of giving marriage advice, the idea is this, don't marry a person. And I think this principle would extend to male or female. Don't marry a person who continually complains, who's never content, who always nags, complains, and has a problem with life because that is like a continual dripping on a rainy day. Right? Right on your forehead. Imagine that water 
all the time, that's the complaining, discontent, nagging spouse, right? You feel uncomfortable with that, right? All day long. If your heart is discontent, it'll come out in your words. And again, we often complain and we grumble and we argue simply because we're bored and we feel, feel we have to fill the silence and we fill the silence with stuff that is sinful, that is in our hearts. We don't like it when others complain, but we do it ourselves without thinking often. Now, one of the more creative uh, internet writers is a woman who writes under the pseudonym The Honest Toddler. Uh, she writes as if she were her toddler son from his perspective. And uh, she tweets from his perspective. In one of her blog posts, uh, playing the role of her toddler son, she wrote about whining. Said, when adults talk about being tired or the price of ground beef, it's called complaining. But when a toddler musically communicates dissatisfaction, you, parents, label it whining. It's time for adults to acknowledge whining as a legitimate form of speech. And the whole article goes on from this toddler's perspective to explain why whining is just as good as complaining. And I think often when we hear little children whine, we go, ah, stop it. Who taught that child to whine and complain? And often we just got to go look in the mirror, don't we? I didn't teach him to whine. Are you sure? Because we complain and we grumble and we argue without thinking. Proverbs tells us contentment is better than riches because it stems from a heart that is at peace with God and trusts him. And it requires the power of the Holy Spirit to develop a content heart so that our speech is content as well. The fifth pitfall is bragging, boasting. Proverbs chapter 27, verses one and two. Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. In other words, don't go around trying again to elevate yourself by what you say. To draw attention to yourself so that other people will applaud you. It's interesting, I ran across an article just this past week about a very new study that was done about bragging and boasting both in person and online. They did a huge study where they asked people, how do you feel when your friends brag or self-promote or say things about themselves to make you notice? And here's what they concluded. People who brag may think it makes them look good, but it often backfires, new research suggests. Most people realize that they experience emotions other than pure joy when they are on the receiving end of other people's self-promotion. Go figure. But when we ourselves engage in self-promotion, we tend to overestimate people's positive reactions and we underestimate their negative reactions. So huge, expensive study to tell you this. Bragging is annoying. And the Proverbs is right. And I love one of their conclusions here is this. Therefore, trying to be more aware of the balance in a conversation could be a good start. People who are genuinely humble, who tend to spend less time focused on themselves and more time thinking of others, are on the right track in this regard. Then listen to this. If someone brags on your behalf, it's a fantastic way to get the message across because it doesn't feel like you're the one looking for credit. That sounds suspiciously like Proverbs 27. Let another person praise you and not your own mouth. This is a study that they could have saved the money just by reading Proverbs. The reality is that when we boast, we're communicating, 
I think that I'm more important than you. And in fact, I want to set myself up in opposition to God as the one who ought to receive praise. And in fact, there are several passages in scripture that talk about boasting as a way to set ourselves up in opposition to God himself. Look at Proverbs 3:34. Although God is scornful to the arrogant scoffer, yet he shows favor to the humble. Uh, both 1 Peter 5 and James 4 uh, rephrase this verse. They quote this verse, but they say it this way, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you. I don't want to have God in opposition to me because of the things I say, because of the things I believe. The scripture consistently says those who are boastful, arrogant, scornful of others, they are setting themselves up in a situation where God has to humble. But he gives grace to those who are humble and lifts them out of the pit that they've fallen into. And all of these pitfalls of speech are ones that spring from a sinful heart and ones that have ultimately the same solution. And that is to return and remember the good news of Jesus Christ. That again, God gives grace to those in need. And that through Jesus Christ, all of our sin can be forgiven. That Jesus died in our place and rose again. So not only can we have eternal life, but also we can have the spirit of God and the ability to represent God well with our speech. I think when we remember how much God loves us, that he gave his son, all of a sudden that curbs the impulse that we have to elevate ourselves by what we say. The insecurity that we feel that causes us to boast, that causes us to gossip, that leads us to try to make ourselves funny at the expense of others, all that insecurity, all that fear, all of those things begin to fade in light of the significance of God's love for us through Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning that you're here and you don't yet have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so the first step for you to have a cleansed heart, sin forgiven, and know that you can spend eternity with him is to trust in what Jesus did, that he died for your sins, including the ones of your mouth. And he rose again to give you and me eternal life and his presence with us even now. And if you and I know him then, we're called toward constant vigilance, constant prayer, constant dependence on his spirit to avoid these pitfalls. So that as we talked about last week, our speech can reflect the one who made us in his image to be his representatives. I want to suggest an exercise for each of us this week that I think will help us become more aware of our speech. And it's simply this, keep a speech journal this week. Maybe you have a notebook, maybe you have a journal, maybe you use some computer program, Evernote, whatever it is. Keep a journal each each day this week. At the end of the day, if you talk a lot, you may do this two or three times a day, right? And ask these questions. What patterns of speech in my life are positive? What are the ways in which I'm encouraging others, praising God with my words, telling the truth? And what patterns of speech need to change? If you get to the end of a day and the answer to the second question has a lot more on it than the first one, 
then you know you have some work to do. And the reality is all of us can grow in this area. Like we said last week, James tells us if you don't struggle with what you say, you're a perfect man or woman. If you think that you're a perfect man or woman, you're deluding yourself. All of us will have patterns that we go, oh, that's not good. And it needs to change. And the response is simply this. Pray for help. Ask the Spirit of God to give you the ability to speak well. To change those attitudes of your heart that lead to sinful speech. And perhaps ask a good friend or your spouse to help hold you accountable. Even though that will be a painful process at times. It will bear fruit as you see yourself begin to grow in speech that honors Jesus. So we ask the one who made us, who gave us his spirit to help us to do better so that we can reflect him, not just so we can be good, nice, polite people, but so we can have an impact for his kingdom with the words that we say. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that all of your words are perfect, true, pure, and right. And we pray that our words would conform to yours. And to the spirit of Jesus, who is your word made flesh. The one who always says what is right and true. I pray we would, uh, we would seek wisdom and power from your spirit to reflect him. We thank you for this time. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.